Good morning again. Our sermon text for this morning is from Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Uh, if you were here last week, you know that we began looking at the book of Galatians last week. We did kind of an overview of the whole book uh, last week, and now we're going to begin to dive in uh, a few verses at a time. I know that's a little odd for us because we've gone through Leviticus like a chapter or two chapters or three or even once four chapters at a time, and now we're just looking at five verses. Um, I actually thought about just looking at the first two, but I thought, no, that's overdoing it. So um, we're going to look at the first five verses of Galatians this morning. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles just outside uh, the door on the table there. You should feel free to grab one of those Bibles. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, you should feel free to grab one not only for the service, but you can write your name in the front, keep it, take it home with you, bring it back week after week as we study God's Word together. Before we read uh, Galatians, uh, let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you so much for your mercy. Uh, We thank you that you are a God who is patient, kind, gentle with your children. Our Father, we thank you uh, that you lead us little by little. You draw us closer to you through your son Jesus and by the power of your spirit. We pray, Father, as we come to you this morning through your word, uh, that you would draw us near, uh, that you would teach us by your Holy Spirit, that you would soften our hearts, that you would teach us truth. Pray, Father, that I would speak what is true and that I would speak clearly and that uh, your spirit would take your word and bring it to bear on, on, the, on our hearts. Pray, Father, that anything that I say that is, is not true would be just taken away would not be remembered, so that you would be exalted, that your son and his work on the cross would be exalted in the power of your spirit. Father, bless our time now as we as we turn to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Paul, an apostle, Not from man, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God, the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This world works by comparison. Faster, smarter, stronger, prettier. The world works uh, by distinctions. Us and them, yours and mine, the United States and Canada, Republican, Democrat, male, female, black, white, rich, poor, educated, uneducated. These distinctions are, of course, not, not always bad. Uh, It's not bad that there are men and there are women. In fact, it's kind of central to the propagation of the human race. So comparisons, distinctions, distinctions are not intrinsically wrong. Comparisons are not intrinsically wrong either. It's not wrong to be faster or stronger or smarter or prettier. In fact, even God uh, in the Old Testament was in the business of distinction making. Uh, You may remember in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth, and he divided the day from the night the waters above from the waters below, the seas from the dry land. 
Then God chose Israel out of all the nations, right? Another distinction. And he gave Israel a law. One of the points of the law was to emphasize the distinctiveness of his people, to distinguish his people from the peoples around. And so distinctions, differences, even comparisons are not sinful. They're just kind of the reality of life. The problem, of course, is what we do with those distinctions. We use them to judge. We use them to boast. So the way this world works, or at least uh, that is the way this world in its brokenness works, is those distinctions and those divisions and those comparisons become measures of my status or my value or my righteousness. Distinctions aren't sinful, but we misuse them as measures of value and status and righteousness, and that's where they fail. You may know how that is, right? I mean, you, you know, we judge people on all kinds of divisions, large and small, differences, large and small. We, we judge someone because they do something that we think was stupid. We judge someone because of the way that they dress or their haircut or their tattoo. We judge someone because of the kind of car they drive, whether uh, because it's rusty and about to fall apart or because it's worth more than your house. We judge people because of the music they listen to, because of the color of their skin, because of the accent in their voice. We take all kinds of good and God-given, often, differences. We turn them into opportunities to judge and to condemn and to devalue. Or, on the opposite hand, to boast, right, in what we have, in what we are, in what we have done. Who do you judge? How do you even suddenly look down on the people around you? What makes you think that others are less than? Or, on the other hand, what do you boast in? What makes you think that you are better than? And why do we do that? I think one of the reasons we do that is because in the beginning, God gave Adam and Eve a a line, a law. He said, obey me. And this was the measure of their status. It was the measure of their righteousness. Would Adam and Eve fit rightly into the world that God had made or not? Would they obey him? Would they cross the line? Of course, Adam and Eve, you know, crossed the line into unrighteousness. And ever since, we have been trying to find other lines, other distinctions that we can substitute for God's law. See, we want to prove ourselves. We want to prove that we are Uh, Righteous, that we are better than, so we can feel good about who we are. And so some days I feel good about myself because I have a clean desk. Most days I do not because my desk is a complete mess. See, we find, we create lines, we create distinctions, and then we elevate them to the level of God's law, which has the power to declare whether I'm in the right or not. And so having a clean desk becomes my law. Sometimes it's my righteousness, most often it's my shame. And so I, I make apologies, right? If you, if you come into my study, whether in the Y here or at home, I make apologies and I say things like, oh, pardon my mess. Yeah, my, 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 my desk is a mess. Just, you know, overlook that. Why do I feel the need to say that? Well, because even if the other person is not judging me based on this clean desk law, I am. That's, why, that's also why we're so competitive. You know, competition itself is, is a good thing. It's a healthy thing. It's even okay to play to win. But when winning or losing shapes your identity, that's actually a part of the brokenness of this world. 
So we feel this need to, to win, to prove ourselves. This broken world works on, on judgments based on distinctions and differences and comparisons. You know, messy desk, clean desk, winning, losing, right? Those are seen in terms of righteousness or shame. Paul, in the book of Galatians, says that we are delivered out of this world. That's what he says, actually, in verse 4, right? He says, Jesus delivered us from this present evil age. We've been delivered out of this world into a world, into an age, into an order, into a way of life that is not based on judgments or, or distinctions within the world, but that's based on grace. We've been delivered into a world based on grace. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. You can see in your bulletin, the outline on the back of your bulletin, there are three points. God's alien grace, God's rescuing grace, and God's glorious grace. First, we'll talk about God's alien grace. Paul begins introducing himself in verse 1, and he says this, Paul an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. We mentioned a bit of the background of this last week. Paul is a, is a preacher. He was a, a church planter of sorts. And he had started a number of churches in southern Turkey. But after he left and moved on to plant other churches, someone or some others came along behind Paul, and they began to question Paul's authority and Paul's message. They taught that Paul's message was actually derived from other people. And for that matter, Paul had gotten it wrong. And so they began to add to it. They wanted to try to complete in their minds what Paul had begun. Paul begins the letter in sentence one, defending his credentials, which seems kind of like an odd place to start for us. But it's an important place to start. Does Paul's message have any real authority behind it? And here's Paul's initial answer. Paul, an apostle. Now, an apostle, apostle, like many words, has, has multiple meanings. Think about the word president. The word president means someone who presides over a meeting or an organization. You can be the president of your Rotary Club. You can be the president of Coca-Cola. But uh, for most of us, when we hear the word president, we think of one person in particular, the President of the United States of America. See, the word has, has both a broader and a more narrow meaning in our minds. An apostle was simply one who was sent. But the word apostle in the church came to refer specifically to those who were sent out by Jesus himself with Jesus' authority to speak Jesus' message. You see, the biggest requirement for being an apostle in the New Testament is seeing and being sent by the risen Jesus himself. So you, you see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, where Paul says, Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? See, that was the requirement, at least one of the requirements for being an apostle. You had to see the risen Jesus. You see this in Acts chapter 1, verse 22, where uh, the role of the apostle was to be an eyewitness of the resurrection of Christ. And so an apostle was one who, an apostle, was just one who was sent out. But, but an apostle in the church 
was one who was appointed by Jesus as an eyewitness to Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Paul says he is an apostle, right? Not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. Well, why is all of that important? Well, an, an apostle could be anyone sent out by anyone else, right? If I, if I send you across the street with a message for someone, you, you're my apostle, right? I've sent you out. But when, when, when churches sent uh, people out as emissaries, this was the word they sometimes used. You see that in the scriptures. And so the question is, is Paul just an, an emissary from First Baptist down the street, or is he an emissary of God? And, and yet there's more to it than that. Uh, it, it's not just whose message is Paul carrying, but who appointed him to carry it? You know, every pastor, in one sense, is an emissary of Christ, right? But Jesus did not appear at my ordination service to personally appoint me. Sorry. I was appointed an emissary. I was ordained a pastor through man. Right? Certain men laid their hands on me to, to ordain me to the, the role of being a pastor. So Paul is actually saying two things here in this first verse. He, he's not an apostle of men, conveying the message of men. And he is not an apostle of Jesus through men. But he is an apostle through Christ and God the Father. See, the risen Jesus had appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus and commissioned Paul an official eyewitness of Jesus' resurrection and a bearer of Jesus' message. The risen Jesus did that. You read about that in the book of Acts. Why is that so significant? What this means is Paul's commission, and therefore his message, is neither from men nor through men. His message is from Jesus. Or to put it differently, the source of Paul's message, his message of grace, is not of this world. It is alien. Paul's message of grace comes from the outside of this world. And think about it, it, it really couldn't be any other way, right? In this world, the norm is, is judging differences, using comparisons to condemn. The message of the gospel, right, the good news, is that in Christ, this old way of doing things has been done away with. Some of you might be thinking, well, there's still a distinction in there, Luke. Okay, there is. I'll get to that. Don't worry. But for now, just hear this point. This is an alien message, right? It's foreign to this world. That no earthly distinction should any longer be a cause for division. That people from every tribe and tongue and nation should be brought together in the church. You know, sometimes we try to make people one by assimilating them, by making them become like us. But the point is, in Christ, those old distinctions and divisions have lost their power, right? When people come to Christ, they, they stay uh, male or female, black or white, rich or poor, but they are brought together in Christ. Because what unites them is not worldly similarity, but belonging to Jesus. That's a message that our divided world desperately needs to hear. It's not a message that comes up from within this world, it's a message that comes in from the outside. God's grace his message of grace is alien to this world. God's grace also rescues us from this world. This is the second point, God's rescuing grace. 
Now, to call this God's rescuing grace assumes that we need rescuing. And whether we like to admit it or not, we do. We live in a world that's, that's fundamentally broken. I'd, I'd like to think that this is obvious. right? Just watch the news and you can see the brokenness. But it's not just the news, is it? We don't, we don't need to watch the news to know of the brokenness of this world. We know it firsthand. We struggle in our relationships at work or at school. We are divided so often even in our homes. And our divisiveness, our condemning attitude, has actually been condemned by God. Right? That, that's actually justice. Uh, Jesus said, with the measure we use, it will be measured to us. Those who are condemning are ultimately condemned. We live in a world that's fundamentally broken, a world that uses differences to create division, a world characterized more by sinfully motivated competition than by compassion. A world where we can never rejoice when others do well or mourn when they fail, because when others do well, we're jealous, and when others fail, we secretly rejoice. We are a sinfully condemning people who have become a condemned people living in a condemned world. We need rescuing. We need rescuing from ourselves. We need rescuing from our divisiveness. We need rescuing from our our condemning attitudes, from our condemnation, and from our condemned world. Believe it or not, Paul actually answers all of this and more in just the first five verses of Galatians. The heart of his message is actually the resurrection. That's what Paul mentions first in in chapter 1, verse 1. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus is, is, is often misunderstood or at least not fully seen for what it really is. You know, death is God's curse on sin. When people die... It is a sure sign that they were sinful. That's not meant to slam anybody in particular, of course, because I don't know if you've noticed, but the death rate is still 100%. But if death means you're a sinner, why did Jesus die? And Paul tells us in verse 4, says that Jesus gave himself for our sins. See, the Son of God, who was God from all eternity, gave himself by coming into the world, by being born of the Virgin Mary. The incarnate Jesus then gave himself by living a perfect life in our place, but ultimately Jesus gave himself on the cross where he died for our sins. See, Jesus' death, as it symbolized in all the Old Testament sacrifices, his death was substitutionary. What that means is Jesus died as our substitute. Jesus gave himself on our behalf, in our place, for our sins. When Jesus died on the cross, he was taking on the punishment of the sins of his people. As we said, death is God's curse on sin. When people die, it's a sure sign that, well, they are sinful. But Jesus, he died not for his own sins, but he gave himself for ours. Why did he do that? What was his goal? What was the point of the whole thing? Well, he did that, verse 4 tells us, to deliver us. Now, uh, deliver means rescue. What did Jesus rescue us from? Paul actually doesn't say what we might expect. He doesn't say 
Jesus delivers us from sin, or death, or hell, or trouble. Now, all that's true, but that's not what Paul says here. Paul says Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. That's interesting. Pause there for a second. Delivered us from this present evil age. What does that mean? Well, delivered means rescue. Okay, we already said that. Uh, Jesus rescued us from the present age. The, the age that is now. He rescued us from the time that is now. A, a time that Paul says is evil. Now, Jesus doesn't take me out of the present evil age. I mean, I'm still here after all. I'm right here in the present right now. So what does it mean to be delivered from now, which is what Paul says. Well, it means that you no longer belong to this present evil age. Okay, what does that mean? What does it mean to no longer belong to this present evil age? Well, okay, we've already said that the present world, the present age, is characterized by a way of life founded on judgment. We judge others based on comparisons and differences, comparisons and differences within this world. Of course, God has judged this world, judged us within the world. Because of the work of Christ, though, those differences no longer matter. Here's what Paul says at the end of the book of Galatians. Galatians 6, verse 15. God says at the end of the book, Paul says, God through Paul, says at the end of the book of Galatians, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but a new creation. That, that line is, is not a throwaway line, right? It's not coming out of the blue at the end of the book of Galatians. If you read through the book of Galatians before, you might wonder where that line came from. All of a sudden, Paul brings up a new creation. Where, where, did, where did that come from? But that new creation is actually fundamental to Paul's outlook in the book. Paul is saying certain divisions in the world, even those made by God in the Mosaic Law, they no longer matter because of the work of Christ. The in-this-world distinctions... Circumcised, uncircumcised, Jew, Greek, male, female, black, white, rich, poor, educated, uneducated. Those in this world distinctions, they have no bearing on your status before God because Christ has delivered you from this world with its distinctions. Galatians 1.4 tells us Jesus has delivered us from the present evil age, the age of comparisons and value judgments based on worldly distinctions. How does that happen? What does that mean? Well, that brings us back to the resurrection. Think about it. Jesus came into the world to die for sins, not his own. He he died in the world as one who had become a part of this world through the incarnation. He died bearing our guilt and our shame in our place. But Jesus is sinless, right? So, So death had no right to keep him in the grave. Death could not hold him. So Jesus rose from the dead. And Jesus' resurrection is Jesus' vindication. God, in Jesus' resurrection, declares Jesus in the right. Think about it. Death says you're sinful because you're you're dying. You're receiving sin's curse. Jesus' resurrection is God vindicating his son as the righteous one. When Jesus rose, he was no longer a part of this world, right? He faced the judgments of the fallen world. He faced God's judgment on the fallen world. But he rose victorious, 
into a new life, a resurrection life, a life in the Spirit. And so Peter, elsewhere in First Peter, uh, says Jesus died in the flesh, but he rose in the Spirit. And it doesn't mean Jesus didn't rise physically. Peter there and Paul here is talking about two different ages, an age of the flesh, this world characterized by human beings and what we can do in our own strength and power, versus the age of the Spirit of grace. When Jesus rose from the dead, he was delivered from this present evil age. And when we believe in Christ, we are united to him and we are delivered in him. We're no longer a part of this present age with his judgments and comparisons. Now, one way to look at, at this is uh, we live in a world characterized by a drive for status. I mean, we, we will boast in anything, right? People will even boast in doing wrong if they think it will boost their status. Jesus came and he gave up all status. The glorious Son of God took the form of a servant. He was hated and despised and rejected. He gave up all status in the world. He took on shame and he died. But then Jesus rose victorious, honored by his Father, that we would be honored, not in the world, but in the Father's presence. Paul's summary of all this is, is in the words grace and peace. See, see grace was a, a common Roman greeting. Peace was a common Hebrew greeting. In one sense, Paul simply puts them together, which is fitting for the book of Galatians. The, the Greek greeting, the Hebrew greeting, right together, grace and peace. Uh, but, but there's more here than a mere greeting for Paul. Paul summarizes the Christian message with these two words, grace and peace. With, with, he summarizes it with grace because the, the first result of Jesus giving himself for our sin is God's favor. Grace means favor. And Jesus, having taken away our sins, uh, what, what really held us down, uh, he took away our sins so that God can look upon us with favor and not with judgment. God loves us. He delights in us, in his son. Peace, though, is the result of that favor. The Hebrew word peace meant, meant much more than our English word. It, it meant a perfect world order. It meant calm and rest and wholeness. Peace meant Eden restored. That's peace. It's nothing short of the restoration of the whole world. It is that restored world that Jesus, in some ways, began in his resurrection. He entered into in his resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead began a new creation, as Paul says. So to say grace and peace to you is to wish upon someone the favor of God and the new creation. Paul's message is a message of nothing less than the cross of Christ bringing us into a new creation, a new world, a new age, a new way of living. Now, I mentioned a minute ago that uh, there's, there's one distinction that remains you may have picked up on this so far, right? It's a distinction between belonging to this present age or being delivered from it. It's a distinction then between belonging to the risen Christ or having nothing to do with the risen Christ. You might say it's the difference between being a Christian and, being, uh, and not being a Christian, but, but if you merely see it as a religious difference, you're kind of missing the point. Jesus does away with all judgments by delivering us from the world of judgment and division and comparison, a world condemned by the Father. Jesus doesn't ignore the differences. He doesn't say they're unimportant. Uh, he doesn't say, uh, 
we're really all saying the same, same thing after all. No, he, he delivers us from the present evil age. And that is why, yes, there is a distinction that does matter. It's the distinction that takes the sting out of all the other distinctions. It doesn't make all people the same. When you trust in Christ, you don't check your ethnicity or gender or social status at the door. But your value as a human being, while in this life often hinges on those things, in Christ you are delivered from this life. And your value, value no longer hinges on those things. Your value is in Christ. So Paul comes with a message not of this world, of being delivered from this world, an alien message of rescue. Jesus has rescued us from this present evil age. He has rescued us from comparisons and divisions, even differences when they're misused. He's rescued us from the condemnation of God on this whole system, on this whole way of life. And he's brought us into the new age, the age of the resurrection, where this or that distinction doesn't matter, only a new creation. That's what matters. That's what Jesus is doing. That's his work. Which brings us to our, our last point about God's glorious grace. We just said that Jesus has rescued us from comparisons, divisions, and differences when they're misused to judge or belittle or condemn. But there's something else we do with those things, and that is we boast. You know, if life is about being smarter, faster, stronger, then I boast when I'm smarter, faster, stronger. If life is about divisions and differences, I boast when I'm on this side of the tracks while you're on that side. If life is about proving that I'm better than, then I, I boast when I get the grade or when I land the promotion or when I bring in the six-figure salary, especially when you didn't. See, we feel good when we have a little something to boast about. I have a friend who calls that illegitimate joy. It's a great phrase. Hold on to that. Illegitimate joy. If life is about drawing lines in the world and making sure that you're on the right side of the line, we either despair when we're on the wrong side or we fight tooth and nail to get on the right side and boast when we've made it. But Paul is saying, life is not about making sure you're on the right side of the line, but being delivered from the line drawing. And that's not something you can do, but something Christ did. See, Paul says this whole work of Christ in giving himself and delivering us is, uh, according to verse 4, according to the will of our God and Father. Now, that's actually really important to notice. Uh, sometimes we think of Christ's work as being against the will of God or coercing the will of God. You know, like God is this big, mean, angry bully in the sky, and Jesus is the nice guy who sort of comes along to protect us from the bully. Nothing could be farther from the truth. It was because of his love that the Father sent his Son. The whole work of Jesus is according to the will of our God and Father. He ordained it. He planned it. He set it up. He sent his Son to bear our sin. And what this means is, of course, that he is the one who gets the glory. That's where Paul ends, right? Uh, verse 3, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And, and think about it, right? There, there are all kinds of lines in the world, rich and poor, smart and dumb, moral and immoral. If going to heaven is based on being on the right side of one of those lines, 
you could boast if you could make a bit more money and therefore get into heaven or, or learn a bit more theology and therefore get into heaven or do a few more good deeds and therefore get into heaven. But if God just saves us, if he delivers us through the cross of Jesus, people from all over the map, right, rich and poor, smart and dumb, moral and immoral, Jew and Gentile, black and white, American national and Syrian refugee, right? If God just saves people because of his grace, there's nothing left for us to boast in. From the start, Paul gives us this message of alien, alien rescuing glorious grace because his message is not of this world, but comes from the risen Lord Jesus. And so we need to listen. He doesn't speak with the authority of men behind him, but the authority of God. Are, are you listening? Because his message is about deliverance from this world, deliverance from judgment and condemnation through the cross of Jesus, we can rest. We can stop jumping on the treadmill of life and trying to impress people and trying to impress God, trying to get on the right side of the tracks, trying to prove that you're better than or more than. Rather, you can just rest in the work of Jesus who gave himself on the cross to bear the curse for your sins and deliver you from the world of comparisons of men and the judgment of God. Because his message is about a work that is wholly of the Father in Christ, you can't boast except in the cross. And we have this tendency to boast in ourselves, right? We, we want others to know of our accomplishment. We, we, we wait in our conversations for the opportunity to talk about ourselves or to add our story to, to show how much we know. We want people to know what we've done and how well we've done it. We are boastful, wanting others to take notice, desiring the praise of men. But again, here's where Paul lands in Galatians, the end of Galatians 6.14. He says, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's our boast. What does that mean? It means to rejoice in the cross. It means to talk about the cross. It means to tell people about the cross because of what God has done through it. It's boasting. It's just not boasting on yourself, but boasting on someone else. That his name, that his reputation would be boosted and not your own. It's wanting to let people know not how great you are, but how great your God is. As we look at Galatians, right, we're just looking at the first five verses this morning, and it's kind of like a second introduction almost as we get into the book. But as we look at Galatians, let's spend the next few months together, right, really listening to Paul's message, really resting in the work of Christ, learning to live as a part of this new world, this new way of life. And learning together to boast in nothing but the cross. Let's pray. Our Father, we, uh, we pray that you would begin to unfold to us what it means that we have been delivered. Delivered from this present evil age and brought into a new age, the age of the resurrection. Father, that's, that's kind of foreign to us. That's weird to think about. So we pray that you would teach us, that you would be our teacher, that you would guide us as we read through Galatians, that you would unfold what that means, that you would grow us in our understanding of your grace, the magnitude of your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.